Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I'm excited to be here for all kinds of reasons, but one of which is I got a podium this morning. There was a guy, I think it's one of the overseers of Mission Church, I think his name might be Dino, he came here a few months ago, and he got a podium, and I was like, where do you get the podium? You know, like, I don't hate the table, but I really prefer the podium, so um, I'm blessed to have the podium, and I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, This is our home church. I love, love, love Mission Church. I love to be uh, able to speak here, and, and I've just been... In my prayer and in my reading recently, God has just impressed upon me, really as I've prepared this sermon, God has just been impressing upon me what a a gift it is to be able to share the gospel with people. And so so I don't take that lightly. I am humbled by God's mercy and, and in the opportunity that he gives me to share the truth and the reality of his word with you and with others. And so um, I'm excited. I'm excited about this text this morning. I'm excited about what God's doing in this church and in this place and in our lives. And, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to sharing with you guys this morning. So go ahead and put your thumbs. If you have a Bible, you can kind of open up to Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read it right now. But we're going to be in verses 13 through 26 in a second here. And I'm just going to start with a little bit of confession, just kind of some vulnerability this morning. Historically speaking, I'm not exactly the best guy that you would want to have on the barbecue. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I know there's like, there's always like grill legends in the house, you know, like guys who just like, and then ladies too, who just can just grill, can just do all, and they're like smoking things and rotisserie thing and all these different things, right? Um, I'm not that level. I, I will say this, if you came to my house today, I could barbecue you some food, but historically, that was not always the case. I used to I'll just say I burned a lot of chicken in my life, okay? Those poor chickens gave their lives for nothing because I burned a lot of chicken. Um, so what I used to do is I used to paint the barbecue sauce on at the beginning, right? And, and I didn't know about this. I didn't know if that was a problem, yeah. And so I would, there would be so much fire. I mean, so much. I mean, I had, a, I had this barbecue, and it was underneath this maple tree, and, and the maple tree had these branches that kind of leaned over the barbecue. I burned this whole part of this maple tree. I mean, just just wilted, okay, because of my flames, right? I used to keep a, a little sprayer with me, and I would, like, try to fight the flames with the sprayer because I just didn't know, and I was like, I got to fight these flames with something. So I'm, like, spraying. So now your chicken's black and it's wet, right? I mean, just the whole thing was bad. It was bad. It was bad. So then one day, uh, and this is a long time ago, right? So I said, like I said, I've gotten better now, but, like, years ago, we had this family barbecue at my house, and my, it, was on, it was my side of the family, and one of my aunts came over, and uh, she, she gets, she's really good with food, like really good. And she gets like in my face, like in my face. She's like this. She sees the flames. She sees the smoke. She sees the chicken. She gets in my face and she goes, what are you doing? And I was like, honestly, I don't know. You know, I don't, I have no idea. I, I really don't know. You can see what I'm doing and how it's going. Like, I don't know. And she says this, she says, you're supposed to put the barbecue sauce on at the end because the sugars will burn. I was like, hello, pro tip. Thanks for, thanks for coming in at the last minute. So then, and so then since then, obviously, my, my barbecuing has gotten a lot better. Um, but, but here's the thing, is I thought I was doing it right, but in reality, I was getting it wrong. And this morning's text is Paul is addressing a group of folks called the Judaizers who thought they were doing it right. 
but in reality, they were getting it wrong. See, the Judaizers were this group, and just in the biggest picture, kind of in the broadest sense, the Judaizers were these Christians who were trying to bring all the Jewish law and customs and whatnot and put it on top of Christianity, kind of put it on top of Jesus. And so all of Galatians, literally all of Galatians, is really addressing this issue in the church. And we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, um, read along with me if you have a Bible. I think it'll be up on the screen as well. Paul says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful. Grateful because you have given us this word. You have given us literally the, 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 this picture into truth and what it means to walk with you and to live in you. And God, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, Lord. I pray that you would open doors in our lives, that you would bring freedom and peace and joy and all the good things of your spirit, Lord. And I pray that, that, that whatever I say, God, would be used only to point to you. And we are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So the title of my message this morning is Fruit and Freedom, and we're just going to talk about two things in the biggest picture. We're going to talk about freedom of the Spirit, and then we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So starting in verse 13, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, which is great. That's good news, but freed from what? Now, Jesus, in the biggest picture, again, Jesus dies, he gives his life, he is resurrected from the grave, and so Jesus has freed us from all kinds of things, sin, death, shame and guilt, the, the power of Satan, I mean, all kinds of things. But Paul is speaking specifically about two things in this text when he talks about freedom. The first is he's talking about being freed from the bondage of law or religion, which is important, it's incredibly important. And the second is he's talking about being freed from the bondage of our flesh. 
And so I want to take a minute and talk about being freed from the bondage of law or religion. Again, this is really Paul's main point throughout the book of Galatians. Because what's happening here in, the, in, in, the, in this church is that these guys, the, Judaiz- the Judaizers, what they're doing is they're trying to take all of these Jewish laws that Jesus essentially has fulfilled, and they're trying to stack them back up on top of the name of Jesus. And so they're, what they're trying to do is tell folks that, yeah, 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 you can have Jesus but you also need to do this stuff too. You can have Jesus, but you need all these other things. You got to continue to do all these other things as well. And there actually ends up being kind of three types of of Judaizers. This is actually new information for me, but I was studying on this and and, and I found out that there was three types of Judaizers. There's what we would call the custom keepers who are actually pretty innocent. They wanted to be, they were Christians. They believed in Jesus, but they were also Jews. And so they just kind of wanted to keep some of the Jewish customs for themselves, but they didn't care if you did. They weren't trying to force that on anybody. And then there were these people who were the separatists. They were, they, they didn't care if you weren't a Jew but they didn't want to hang out with you, right? So they, they were like, we're going to do the Jewish thing, and we want to be separate as Christians, but if you're not going to do the Jewish thing as a Christian, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. Not healthy, but that's what they were doing. And then there were the elitists, and these are the folks that Paul's really getting after in Galatians. These are the folks that are saying, yeah, 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 we want Jesus, but again, we need all the other Jewish laws and dietary restrictions and all the other customs, all these other things. We need these continuously just to be part of what it means to be a person of faith in order to be saved. And Paul goes to great length, read Galatians, read Romans. Paul goes to great length to address all this. And basically his point, I'll summarize his point to you in this, in this little phrase, is that he's basically saying, look, if you still need all that stuff, then what do you even need Jesus for? Right, because Jesus died to save you from sin. Jesus died to fulfill the law. Jesus was resurrected and conquered death. So if Jesus is enough, what do you need all this other stuff for? And really, Paul's addressing not just those who would try to bring the Jewish law back on top of Christianity, but he's addressing anybody who would try to add any type of human religion or law to the gospel. And and we do it. Right? We, we, we are tempted to do it. Churches all throughout history are tempted to do that. Where we're, yeah, we'll say, yeah, we love Jesus, and we really want the name of Jesus to be still right there, but we want to put a couple other things on top of that. Right? And, and so what we'll do is we'll add rules, or we'll add customs, or we'll, we'll add different, different things about language or dress or whatever. You've got to do all these things as well in order for God to love you and in order to be saved and approved by God. But what Paul is saying is you don't need any of that other stuff. If someone comes to you with that extra stack of stuff, go ahead and just wipe it off because all you need is Jesus. And so that's Paul's, really his his primary point in all of Galatians is talking about why we just need Jesus. And, And if you want to know the truth, this is really one of the core reasons why I'm at Mission Church. I mean, Mission Church is a great church in all kinds of ways, more than just the one I'm going to talk about right now. But we showed up here on what I believe was the second Sunday. We were at the Rose Garden over at Heather Farm. Some of you guys were there. And, and my friend had heard about Mission Church on Instagram. So whoever's doing the social media, great job, guys. And, and said, hey, there's this church over here. Um, you should check it out. So I went over, we went over, my family and I went over there and, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. I just kind of went to go visit. And, and worship was great. The whole thing was great. And I sit down, and this guy named Tyler Johnson gets up to preach. And I okay, okay, well, let's see what, what, what this pastor has to say. 
and, and, and he preached. And it was, it was great. It was inspiring. It was encouraging. I loved it. But here's literally what I said to myself when I walked away that day. I said, I don't know who this Tyler Johnson guy is, but I'm pretty sure he believes the gospel. Right? And so, and so I, just, I just walked away that day encouraged and thinking, okay, I'd go back. I'd go back. But every time I went back, I kept thinking, he's going to say something crazy. You know what I mean? Like, he's, I'm going to come, and he's going to be like, you got to be a Calvinist, or you got to do this political thing, or you got to get baptized in orange juice, or something weird, right? Like, he's going to add something. He's going to say something crazy. And every time I came back, it was just Jesus. It was just the gospel. It was just the reality of God's transformative power in the word and in the spirit. And every time I came away saying, this man believes the gospel. And so that's really the reason I'm here, at least one of the core reasons that I'm here, is because it's not about all this other stuff that we can add to our faith. It's just about Jesus. It is just about Jesus. And so we've been freed, literally, that's Paul's point, we have been freed from the bondage of law and religion. We've also been freed from the bondage of the flesh. And so Paul, in the second part of that same verse, verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but hear this, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. This guy, Charles Kingsley, who I believe was an old Anglican pastor a couple centuries ago, he says this. He says, there are two freedoms. The false, where a man is free to do what he likes, and the true, where a man is free to do what he ought. The reality is, is that God has freed us from things, but he's also freed us for things, and he has not freed us to just indulge in the flesh. And there's an illusion of freedom. There is, and and that's what this is really addressing. That's what Paul's trying to address here. The illusion of freedom is that, wait, great, I'm free. Now I can just do whatever I want. I can just give in to all of my desires. I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want it. The problem is, is when you look at it through that lens of what I want, how I want, when I want it, that sounds a lot more like your sin nature than it does like freedom. And so we get confused. We think, now I'm free to do whatever I want, But what Paul is saying here is, no, you're not necessarily just freed to do whatever you want. You're freed for something. You're freed for purpose. You're freed for joy. You're freed for hope. You're freed to do and be what God has created you to do and be. But what I do think Paul is addressing here, and what I think he's bringing up, actually I know he is because he does it several times in his writings, is he's addressing the idea of sin as a universal human struggle. In in all of the talk of freedom, we have to acknowledge at the same time that there is sin in the world, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's Pastor Tyler, that's all of us. Like we are all burdened by this reality, this, this sort of curse called sin. Christ has freed us from it, but it is still at war within us. And really, that's what Paul's talking about in verse 17. So if you pick that up with me, he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So these two things that operate inside of us now want different things. They have different plans. They have different agendas. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And here it is. They are in conflict 
with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Look, if you've followed Jesus for any period of time, you know the reality of that conflict. And I don't necessarily mean to paint this picture of our faith being like tumultuous and rocky and, and, and struggle, although there is that. That is real, but it sounds very sort of uncomfortable as we talk about it, but the reality is, and it's something that I just want to take a step back right now and help us appreciate, the reality is, is that there is something important and significant and even beautiful about the reality of Christ living in us and battling against our sin nature. Because what if that wasn't happening? What if Jesus just said, yeah, okay, you're saved, but now go fight your own flesh on your own strength? How's that going to go, right? If you've ever tried to, to, to deal with your own flesh under your own strength, it's not always a good outcome. In fact, it may be a, a bad outcome more than it is a good outcome. And so there's something really profound and important, both theologically but also practically, about the reality of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit actually waging war against our flesh, actually standing up against our fleshly desires, actually fighting that battle inside of us so that, again, we use the freedom that Christ has invited to appropriately. Because Jesus died to set us free. That's why he doesn't just leave us alone, right? That's why the Holy Spirit comes. It's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us because Jesus died to set us free. Jesus goes to the cross, experiences all the, sh the shame and the guilt and, and all that on the cross, goes through all of that, dies, resurrects, comes back to life, conquers death so that you and I could be free, so that the world could be free, so that the most broken and unrepentant sinner can come to their knees and be freed by the grace and reality of God. And so Jesus has set us free from law. He set us free from religion. He set us free from flesh but he's freed us to live life in the spirit. And this is hugely important. This is incredibly important to Paul's thinking and to Paul's writing. And here's why. Because if you just take away the spirit for a minute and you just look at it through the lens of how humans do things, there's a cycle that takes place, right? So it's like we behave, we behave badly. Like, let's be honest, right? You do, I do, we do, our kids do, our parents did, the whole thing. Like we all behave badly. And law exists to restrain bad behavior. It makes sense? Law exists to restrain bad behavior. So we behave badly, and so we need law. But then we either rebel from law or we get freed from law. So the cycle of thinking is that then if you leave law, you just go back to bad behavior, just go back to the flesh. And then we behave badly again, and then the cycle is, well, then you would need more law. And then, of course, we either rebel from law or we get freed from law. So then the thinking would be that we just go back to the flesh. And so it's just this cycle of law and flesh and law and flesh and law and flesh. And what Paul is saying here is that life in the spirit breaks this cycle. What he's saying here is it's not just law and flesh anymore. There is a third and a better option, which is what Paul is talking about as life in the spirit. You can clap. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I felt like I was getting after it there, so thank you. 
There's a third and better option, which is life in the spirit. And, and, and this is what Paul is talking about. This is explicit in the text. He says in verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's spirit over flesh. But then just two verses later in verse 18, which again, it's interesting that those two things capstone verse 17 about the conflict that's in us. But anyways, verse 18 Paul says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So it's spirit over flesh. It's also spirit over law. God has given us a way that transcends and supersedes these other options. And if you look at it, really, these things are in different categories, right? They really are. Like law and flesh are in one category and the spirit is another category because law and flesh are man's doing. That's what we do, right? We, we, we break the law, and then we make new rules. We live in our flesh, and then we make new rules. Law and flesh are man's doing, but the gospel is about what God has done and is doing to correct the wrongdoing of humanity. So, so we can just live in this cycle of, yeah, do the dumb things of our flesh and then make more laws to try to restrain them. And what Paul is saying is, okay, that's, I get that. That's the human way to do it. That's the, the worldly way to do it. But now there is this new option, which is life in the spirit. And so you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free from that cycle. God has saved you from that cycle. So don't go back to it anymore. Don't go back to it anymore. And really, this is Paul's invitation. This is where Paul gets practical. One of the things I love about the gospel, one of the things I love about the Christian faith is, is it can be very heady, but it always gets very practical. And any theology that doesn't come down to practicality is garbage in my opinion. And so Paul gets very practical in all of this because his invitation throughout the text is that we would walk in the spirit. And he says it twice. Now, if you're reading in the NIV, the phrase or the word walk only comes out once, but in the Greek it comes out twice, and I'll explain to you why. So verse 16, he actually says very explicitly, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And in the Greek, that word walk literally means sort of like as you walk. It's like a continual walking, as you're walking in the world. It really means how you carry yourself. It's like how you live your life. As you go about life, as you go about business, walk in the Spirit. Be in the Spirit. But then if we fast forward to verse 25, there's another word in Greek which means walk, but in the NIV it's translated Keep in step with the Spirit. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And that word walk literally means to be, or the Greek word that translates walk or could translate walk literally means to be like in lockstep. If you pictured a military march where people are literally in lockstep with one another. And so what Paul's saying here, it's a different Greek word than the other walk, but they both mean to walk. But what Paul's communicating here is that let's be in lockstep with the Spirit, which is why the NIV does a pretty good job of translating it to keep in step with the Spirit. And so what he's saying is if the Spirit's turning you right, go right. If he's turning you left, go left. If he's stopping you, stop. If he's saying go, go, but let's stay in step with the Spirit. And so what Paul's really saying is, is no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you're doing, no matter what business you go about in your day, let's walk in the spirit. If you go to the grocery store, let's walk in the spirit. If you have to go to your neighbor's house to ask them to turn down their music, let's walk in the spirit. If you're at school, 
let's walk in the spirit. If you're at work, let's walk in the spirit. If you're at a family barbecue this summer, let's walk in the spirit. Because Paul's getting down to the nitty gritty is that what we need to do, aside from all this heady theology around freedom and law and religion and flesh, what he's saying is what we need to do is just live our lives in the spirit. So I had a friend that got married last April, last April or May, and uh, he lives down in L.A., so I was part of the wedding, and uh, I had to go down twice. I got to go down twice, once for the, the, uh, the bachelor party. Got to. It was a blast. It was great. It was great. Um, so I went down once for the bachelor party, and then once, again, a couple weeks later for the wedding. And uh, I go down for the bachelor party. And, and just so you know, this isn't like going to Vegas and partying with Mike Tyson bachelor party. This is like <laughs> hanging out by a pool, eating steaks, and praying over the groom bachelor party. Just in case you're curious, okay? It wasn't like wild and crazy. Some of you are like, oh, bachelor party. But no, it wasn't like that. Um, so we, uh, I go down, and, and like I said, it was a pretty, pretty mild bachelor party. And I had to pick up the suit for the wedding a couple weeks later at a tailor. So I, I picked that up. And I had this little Airbnb in Redondo Beach is beautiful, by the way. Um, and I actually had this like really sweet spot. So the uh, Redondo Beach is almost like this little bay. And then I was up on this hill and this older woman and her son had this place. And, uh, and it was just a, kind of a modest but very beautiful place that overlooked the whole bay and the downtown area. I could see the ocean. It was fantastic. And uh, I had my own private entrance. I mean, it was just a great little spot. And so, like I said, Bachelor party is pretty, you know, we, we were over by like 10, 30, 11. You know, I'm cruising back up to my, uh, my, my Airbnb, and, and I'm walking up the stairs to my room, and there is a grown man coming out of my room and locking my door with a key. And I was like, huh, that doesn't make me feel comfortable or safe. <laughs> and uh, he's walking out, and, and I'm like, well, maybe it's the sun. And then as I get closer, I realize, oh, that's not the sun. This is some stranger. So as I, and this is the best. This is actually my favorite part of the whole story is I'm going up the stairs, and he's coming down. And he looks at me, and he's like, what's up? Like he was just going to walk by. Like that wasn't a big deal, right? And I'm like, I'm like whoa, 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 right? So I kind of stop him, and uh, I said, hey, that's, that's my room. And he's like, well, it was supposed to be my room. And, and long story short, he thought he had reserved this room with the host for a month, and and she then booked it, booked me in there. So you know, that wasn't that wasn't awkward at all. And so uh, he was he was he was all right. He was a, he was a nice guy. He introduced himself. His name was Joe. In my mind, I call him Crazy Joe. Joe was a little amped up for eleven o'clock at night. I don't know if that. I'm not going to go anywhere with that other than where you might go. But Joe was a little amped up, and he goes on to tell me this whole thing. And so I listened to his story, and I just said, "Look, Joe." I just need to know this. I don't know you. I just need to know this. Is all my stuff in my room? That's what I asked him. That's what I asked him. Is all my stuff in my room? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw your surfboard. I had three things in the room. I had my surfboard, a bag full of clothes, and then I had the suit that I had just bought. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw your stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. I said, great. Good night. And I went to bed. Well, I didn't go to bed. I went into my room, and I opened the door, and I first do like a visual scan to see, right? So surfboard, check. Bag full of clothes, check. Suit, not check, right? I'm like, oh my gosh. So I run back out, and this is Joe. Joe was, he was nuts, man. So he's by the corner of the house, like leaning out with his phone, taking a picture of the room. And I'm like, Joe's gonna kill me in the middle of the night. That's what he's gonna do. <laughs> Joe is gonna come back in the middle of the night, and this is all gonna be a bad story that you're gonna see on TV someday. And then, uh, and then I survived, just so you know. But uh, 
I go back to Joe, and I'm like, Joe, I'm like, bro, I think you might have grabbed my suit. And he's like, oh, the suit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, the suit. And then he gives me this whole story about how he thought the suit was his and all this stuff, and he got confused. And I was like, all right, okay. Um, I kind of want to believe you, Joe, but I don't believe you, so can I just get my suit? And uh, he pulls it out, you know, and the suit had this bag on it that had been tied. Well, he had opened the, t- he had untied it. So he had seen the suit, and I don't know if he just thought that that dark blue suit was his. He's like, I didn't have a suit like this before, but it must be mine. But he took, he tried to take my suit. So I get my suit back, and uh, there's actually more of the story, but I don't have time to tell it to you all. But come talk to me later. I'll give you uh, a little more of the story. But uh, anyways, here's the thing. is Joe claims to be innocent, but he was trying to steal something from me. And here's the thing, here's the reason I share that, is because the law and the flesh both claim to be innocent. They claim to be there for good reasons, but they are both trying to steal something from you. And namely, the law and the flesh will try to steal the freedom that God has made available to you in Christ and the Spirit. And so Paul starts by saying, look, you are called to be free. You are called to be free. And so we have freedom in the Spirit, but here's what we also have, which is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, Paul is painting a picture throughout this whole thing of a a Spirit-filled life. And and the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, it's a pretty popular verse. Most of you have probably read it or know it or memorized it. When I first got saved, I was discipled by my pastor, and and he, 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 he invited me slash made me memorize a whole bunch of Scripture. And I memorized this passage, and I didn't really understand it at first, um, and it took years for me to understand what Paul was saying in all this. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is this wonderful picture of Spirit-filled life. But Paul doesn't just jump into the fruit of the Spirit. He actually begins with contrast. He starts with, in verse 19, the acts of the flesh. And I'm going to be honest, it's a rough list. I mean, it's not a comfortable list. You read this list and you're like, oh man, Uh, it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to read it for you just to make you uncomfortable. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. That sounds a lot like the internet these days. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I love how he just throws it on there, and the like. Like anything else that's like this, it's also on the list. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, you, you, the list gets longer is what Paul is saying. He's like, I don't have enough time to go through the whole list, but there's a whole bunch of stuff, and, there's some, and here's, here's a few examples, right? But, but um, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't call this the fruit of the flesh. And I could be re- reading between the lines biblically a little bit here, so you can take this or leave it, do whatever you want with it. But, but I really believe that Paul's intentional by not calling this the fruit of the flesh. Because it seems like it would be easy to say the fruit of the spirit, and here's the fruit of the flesh. Because fruit just means what is being produced, and this is what the flesh produces. But Paul doesn't call it the fruit of the flesh. You see, fruit has a biblical history. Jesus talked about bearing fruit. Even the Old Testament talks about bearing fruit. And Paul's very well aware of all of this. And so I think Paul is trying to do honor to the biblical concept of what it means to be fruit-bearing by not confusing this with fruit. Because the reality is that fruit is a good thing that comes from the good that is in something, right? I have a plum tree. 
It's been just going off with plums. I love it. It's fantastic. I get home from work every day, I pick a plum, and I eat it. It's amazing. Because the, the, the God has created that plum tree to, to bear plums, and it, it, it's put something in that, the life of that tree to bear that fruit. And the same is true is that when we have the fruit of the Spirit in us, there's the good thing that God is working in us, and it comes out of that good. But when Paul's talking about the acts of the flesh, what we have to realize is that these are actually toxic things coming from human brokenness. So these aren't, these aren't the fruits of the flesh. These are the acts of the flesh. And what Paul is really saying is, look, this is what a life in the flesh could look like. Probably didn't even need to spell that out for you because most of us have seen life in the flesh. Some of us, have, many of us, all of us have even lived life in the flesh. But this is what a life in the flesh can look like. But then he turns to what is just a beautiful picture. Just, one, just like really a capstone of not even just this text, but the whole book, in my opinion which is the fruit of the Spirit, starting in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a great list. I mean, this is a great list. I mean, I mean who's going to argue with this list? Who's going to look at this list and say, I don't want any of that? I don't want the love or the joy or the peace or the self-control or the kindness. Who's going to look at this and say, yeah, I don't want any of that? But what Paul is saying is that when you live life in the Spirit, the Spirit in you is going to bear these things. These things are going to grow out of you. And I'm not even here to say that you can't learn to be patient on your own. I'm not going to say that. But what Paul is saying is that the Spirit will do these things in you. You might be able to learn some patience, but, but the Spirit is going to fill you with patience. The Spirit is going to fill you with love and joy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, self-control, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is the result of the Spirit in us. And so now in the Spirit, our lives actually produce something good. That's tremendously important. Because if you remember back to the conflict in verse 17... What Paul is saying is that despite the flesh, despite the conflict, in light of the turmoil that exists in our lives, God, the Holy Spirit, living in you, will bear all of this good fruit in and through your life, even though. Even though. And here's, this is actually my, I have a lot of favorites in this text, so I know I keep saying that, but I just, I love, it just gets better and better, right? So verse 23b, this is just so good. Paul is like tying a bow on this whole thing, talking about law and flesh and spirit and all these things. And he says, because against such things, there is no law. There's no law. Against such things, there is no law. Again, law exists to restrain. We already talked about that. But what Paul is saying is that life in the Spirit does not need to be restrained. There's no need to restrain your joy. There's no need to restrain your self-control, which is kind of a weird thing to say anyways. But there's no need to restrain kindness. Like, you know what? I think I've been really kind lately. I probably need to pull back on that, you know. Probably, probably think about being more of a jerk or something. There's no need to restrain this. What Paul is saying is, is there is no restraint to this because the Holy Spirit will produce it in you in abundance. Right, and the world can come and just pick the fruit. 
The world could come and just take advantage of the fruit. Your neighbors can come and take advantage of the fruit because there is no end to this. The Spirit overcomes the flesh. The Spirit supersedes the law. And what we need in the world is more of this, not less of it. We need unrestrained fruit in the world. We need unrestrained fruit in our lives. And in case you haven't figured this out, the picture that Paul is painting is actually a person who looks like Jesus. And that's of tremendous importance all throughout Paul's theology. The picture that he's painting here is someone who looks like Jesus. There's a, 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 a theological word that we use, a, a biblical word that we use called sanctification. It means to be made more holy or to, to, to look more like Christ in essence. It's sort of the boiled down version of all that theology. And I'll throw this out there just as a freebie. I'm just going to throw it right there on the ground. You can pick it up if you want it. Which my mind was blown several years ago when I was reading this text. And God was speaking to me about this topic. And I realized this is a picture of an emotionally healthy person. And Jesus is an emotionally healthy person. And I thought, wow, that is is something, right? That is something. But here's the reality. What Paul is talking about here is is that as we live life in the spirit, we're freed. And we're freed from all this other stuff, but we're freed for fruitfulness. And as we're freed to be fruitful, people will see Jesus in us. Because here's what the world needs to see. Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, I need to see Jesus in you. The world desperately needs to see Jesus in you. When the world looks at us, and I'm not even, I mean, I'm talking about you as an individual, I'm talking about us as Mission Church, but I'm also talking about us as the global, universal, historical body of Christ, right? Like, the church universal, the people of God, the people who profess the name of Jesus. When the world looks at us, they need to see Jesus. Because Paul's point is, well, what are the alternatives? They could see our religion. They could see that. That's not going to go well. Ain't nobody going to get saved by that. Nobody's going to get healed by my religion, right? I can make a whole bunch of rules and ask people to follow them. That ain't going to free anybody. So, so Lord willing, the world looks at us and does not see religion but sees Jesus. But what's the other alternative Paul's talking about? They could see our flesh. Maybe worse, maybe just as bad as religion. You, you decide. You can talk about it at lunch after church. I don't care. But the reality is, is what Paul is saying is when the world looks at us, they can't see our religion. They definitely can't see our flesh. What they need to see is Jesus. And so it gets back to that same idea of a boiled down practical theology. Because here's the reality of it is fruit is experienced in relationship. Fruit isn't just meant to be like put on a shelf. I don't have much time left, but that's fine. You're fine. We're fine. (laughs) Do you guys know that California is one of the biggest producers of almonds in the world? You didn't know that? I didn't know. I knew we produced almonds. I knew we had almond farms. Um, I know a guy who grew up on an almond farm. By the way, he says it almonds, and they're passionate about that. They They get passionate. I tried to argue with him once, and he just was like, hmm. He didn't, even, he didn't try to entertain it. He was like, mm. uh, they call it almonds. But we have a ton of almond farms, almond farms, whatever you want to do, tomato, tomato, and in California. And, and I didn't know this. We are either the big, we might be both actually. We're either the biggest producer or the biggest exporter or maybe both. I forget what the actual detail on that is. Um, but 
but check this out. Everybody here probably knows that the, the economy is a little wonky right now, to say the least. And um, there's a lot of global supply chain issues in the world right now. And because of all that, and because of the amount of almonds that are produced in California, 1.3 billion pounds of almonds are sitting right now in the state of California. Is that crazy? Now, I, don't, I can't even picture 1.3 billion. That's billion with a B, by the way. Billion pounds of almonds. I can't, like, how big is that? If you just put it in a big pile, how big is it? I have no idea. Is it as big as Mount Diablo? Is it as big as my house? I have no idea, right? I can't even really conceptualize 1.3 billion pounds of almonds. But here's what I thought was interesting. I was reading this article about it, and they're saying the good news is, is that almonds have a, a shelf life, a really long shelf life. And so somewhere in California, probably in several places, there's just big warehouses full of almonds right now, and there's no place for them to go. Which is crazy, because almonds weren't meant to be put in our houses. Wow. That's the fruit of that tree. It's meant to be consumed, it's meant to be enjoyed, it's meant to be shared, it's meant to be, be given to people, but it's not meant to be put on a shelf. Right. And the fruit of the Spirit is relationally experienced. It's not meant to be put on a shelf. Fruit is meant for those around us, whether it's the people in the church, whether it's the people in the world. Fruit is meant to be shared, which then makes sense why Paul's entire text has a very explicit relational challenge. He says from the very beginning, he says, don't do all this other stuff, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, if you bite and devour each other, We'll add those to the, lifts, uh, the acts of the flesh. If you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then even at the end, he says, let us not become conceited, or provo- uh, let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. This entire text has had a very relational tone the entire time because the reality of fruit is it's meant to be enjoyed by others. And the reality of what Paul is talking about here is that in this life that we live in the spirit, as again, we go to the grocery store or as again, we go to our neighbor's house or we go to the family barbecue or we go to school or work or wherever it is, as we do these things, not only should we should be walking in the spirit, but we should be handing out the fruit of the spirit. As we go, people should be experiencing the love of Christ in us. People should be experiencing the joy of our salvation. People should be experiencing kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And people should be marveling at our self-control. I don't know that many people have marveled at my self-control. I'm going to be honest. That's my confession. But I think they should be. I think they should be looking at us and saying, why are you like that? Why are you like that? I didn't, um, I didn't really know about this event until after. I don't pay attention to things like this, so this, didn't, this, didn't, this wasn't on my radar. But then I found out about it after it had happened. Have you guys ever heard of the Fire Festival? Yeah, some of you have. Some of you watched that Netflix documentary. So did I. We're all bad people. Um, but but uh, the... the so what happened was I found out about this thing called the Fire Festival, and I was like, holy smokes, that's crazy. Like, I was like, that is crazy. And, and I didn't really have much more information, but then I saw that there was a Netflix documentary, and I had to watch it. I'm not giving it any sort of, like, recommendation because it has some stuff that may not be uh, uplifting and encouraging, if I say it like that. Uh, but, but it's like a train wreck, you know? It's just like a dumpster fire. You just can't take your eyes off of it. So I, uh, I just kept watching it. And, and really what the Fire Festival is is this, is a... Uh, 
these guys, they were like, they were like these kind of like entrepreneurial guys. They had all this, and, and they had a bunch of money, and they had this idea, which is they wanted to throw this giant music festival on a private island in the Bahamas. Now, I'm not into that kind of thing, but if you are, it sounds like a lot of fun. Like, it sounds like a good time. So, so they had this whole vision of, we're going we're gonna to get an island in the Bahamas, and at one point, they actually owned an island. This is crazy. They actually bought an island in the Bahamas, uh, and then it got taken away from them, I think. I'm not really sure how that worked out. But anyways, they, they were, they were, they were going to buy an island in the Bahamas, and they were going to uh, throw this huge music festival. They were going to have all these bands come, and it was going to be high-end and luxury and all this stuff, and it was going to be like food and drink, and you could, like, you could get like a bungalow on the beach, or you could get like, you know, all these different accommodation options, all these different things. And so... They like scored the island or some, some piece of an island or something, I'm, I'm fuzzy on that detail, but then what they ended up doing was they brought all these like, like models, like they got all these models together and they went to the Bahamas and they started this huge marketing campaign. So all these models were like sending out stuff on their Instagram and then all these people were doing, it was like Instagram and the internet and they built this huge website and the website had all like the lodging options, it had the food options, it had lists of all this stuff and there was a price and like thousands, 8,000, I have no idea. A whole bunch of people paid a whole lot of money to go to this thing called the Fire Festival. And if you're familiar with the story at all, eventually they showed up for this Fire Festival and these guys had delivered on none of it. None of it. I mean, they had a spot on the Bahamas. That's all they had. But they didn't have any bands. At one point, Blink-182 was going to show up, but I guess they didn't. I mean, you ain't going to fly to Bahamas for Blink-182 anyways. But, 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 they, but maybe you would. Maybe you're a big fan. I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. Maybe they're great guys. I have no idea. But, but anyways, they didn't even show up. So all they had is like one local band that like played a set. They had no accommodations. There were no beach bungalows, luxury resort style. All they had was tents. And people were literally fighting apocalypse style for the tents. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. Because at the end of this thing, what these guys had was a brilliant marketing campaign. They had a brilliant marketing campaign. I mean, I actually am impressed by their marketing campaign. They had the ability to market this thing like nobody else. But they were completely incapable of delivering on their promises. They were literally incompetent in terms of their ability to deliver on the promises that they had made. And that's what Paul is saying here. And throughout this text, he's saying the, the, the flesh is going to promise you things. The flesh is going to promise you fulfillment. The flesh has this brilliant marketing campaign that we've all bought into at times. But it is literally incapable on delivering its promises. The flesh can't fulfill your life. Your sin nature can't fulfill your life. Giving in to your own wants and desires will never fulfill your life. And religion, likewise, has a brilliant marketing campaign. Religion says, hey, if you just do these things, then God will love you. God will accept you and you will be saved. But the reality is that religion doesn't have the ability to save you. Paul makes that point very explicitly. Law does not have the ability to save you. The only thing that is going to save you is the name of Jesus. 
Quite literally, the only thing that is going to save you is the name of Jesus. It's not going to be law. It's not going to be flesh. It's not going to be any of those things. No matter what campaign they try to make for you, the reality is is that it's Christ and Christ alone. Some of you are here today and, and, and maybe you haven't yet received the freedom that Christ has offered you. Some of you are here today and, and maybe you're just hearing about this reality of, of Christ and the freedom that he offers and, and, and maybe you've come in here burdened by this world. Maybe you've come in here burdened by, by, by the flesh and, and by just the ongoing cycle of what it looks like to live in the reality of the flesh. Or maybe you've even been burned by some religion. Maybe you've been turned off by what appears to be just law and religion in the world. I'm going to ask that we close our eyes, we bow our heads. And if you're here in this room today, if you're here in this room today and you're ready to say, I'm done with the flesh, I'm done with the world, I'm done with all this nonsense, but I am here to receive the freedom of Christ, please raise your hand. Go ahead and just raise your hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I see that hand. I see that hand. Those are great decisions today. We can clap for that. We can clap for that. Just keep your eyes closed. Keep your head bowed. If you're, if you're here this morning and you've been doing the religion thing, you've been in the church, but you've been doing it religiously. You've been adding laws or, or, or rules to the, to the name of Jesus. I'm just going to ask you. I'm not even going to necessarily ask you to raise your hand, but I just want to give you the opportunity in this moment to just repent of that and acknowledge again in this moment that it's not your rules or your laws that save you, but it's Jesus. It's not any of the things that you can stack onto his name, it's just Jesus. You can open your eyes, you can stand up. We're, we're grateful for what God is doing in this place. I'm gonna say a prayer and church, you can say it with me. Father, we acknowledge. We acknowledge that we are sinful. And we acknowledge that we are tempted to just add law. But we look to you, Jesus. We receive what you have for us today. Salvation, hope, freedom, truth, the fruit of the Spirit. And we pray all this, Jesus, with gratitude in our hearts. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.